This is GamesAtWork.biz, your weekly podcast about gaming, technology, and play. Your hosts are Michael Martin, Andy Piper, and Michael Rowe. The thoughts and opinions on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and are not the opinions of any organization which they have been, are, or may be affiliated with. This is episode 368, Chaos Agent Without Pants. Welcome again to another edition of GamesAtWork.biz, that weekly podcast that has all kinds of fun titles and fun links and fun stories from a bunch of fun people. Uh, This is Michael Martin, one of your three co-hosts, and I'm delighted to be here today, and I'm delighted that we've got kind of a full compliment going on here. Um, Mr. Michael Rowe, how are you doing today? I, I am I am uh, doing very well, and I was going to say when you were saying fun this, fun that, and I was a and fun links from listeners like you. Ah, there we go. That's a good way <laughs> and, to put it. And yeah, hey. And speaking of fun listeners like you, I'd like to introduce our special guest, uh, Ryan Boyles. Ryan, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. The Rob. We're glad to have you. <laughs> Woo. Uh, uh, we uh, we also have Andy Piper this week, who will be here shortly. <laughs> well, so Ryan, let let's start off with some of the what's new. And I know you've been having a, a lot of fun with uh, C Spot Run kind of activities here of late, haven't you? I have. Um, so my daytime employer, IBM, has teamed up with Boston Dynamics. You've probably seen a yellow quad, quadruped robot on big shows like Jimmy Fallon and whatnot. And in the Super Bowl, there was a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Apparently, the robot getting drunk with the security after hours. Um, but it's very serious business. This robot has been uh, in production with Boston Dynamics for a couple of years now. And I, I learned this week in Boston that there are over 800 spots out in the field doing various dangerous and important work uh you know in different far-flung destinations so it's very much an industrial play to help do really important work with a lot of analytics software that ibm provides and all all i could think of is uh i'm sorry (laughs) right so spot can apparently do it all it can dance it can bow it can it, it can have different, I guess, uh, packages or probably not using the right technical term, but essentially new things added to its back. And so the spot that I was able to see live in person had a extender arm, which very much looks like a, a pincer, um, and also a camera unit, which enables it to have live LiDAR so that cool. any room that it enters, it gives it a essentially a 3D map so it can see. A quick once-over yeah. and goes, okay, now I see everything. Right. I know where Ryan is, and right, I can right. kill him first. Exactly. Well, it can it can do a lot with that. I mean, it, it amazingly, we were shooting a video in two different studios with lots of equipment, lots of tree stands, lots of wires, lots of everything, and Spot was able to navigate that. And at one point, he or she tripped on one of the shiny 
sort of tree stand arm legs, if you will, and was able to sort of correct itself. It was amazing to see. Very cool. You know, I've got a question, Ryan, because I have not had the chance to, to work with one of these robots up close and personal, but um, I'm wondering about the exchange of, uh, you know, the utility belt kind of stuff that it can do. Are there ways for that to happen in some autonomous fashion? Like if you need to change out the arm for a camera or for another kind of special sensor, does that require people to make those swap offs? Or can Spotlight yeah. reach up and pull its arm off and put another one there? I think that would be amazing. We did. I didn't cover that, but I, it looks to me just from examining the hardware mm-hmm. that it's it's very much on like a rack on the back of the robot on the chassis. Right. Um, I don't. I don't think that's something that's autonomous that just snaps in. Um, but the, so there's not like a Swiss Army knife rack where it just has I don't know different about ones. That, that would be cool up. though. I think once we once we put it on the SpaceX Starship, maybe we could have that kind yeah, of just setup. Have but, it back up into like a rack I mean, and then kind of raise yeah. up a little bit and now snap in it like MagSafe this, things. It does have like a docking bay though, is, and this is the cool ah. thing. So even though maybe the the extensions or the the sort of platform elements might not be operational there but the battery that's underneath the body so think of it as the battery battery snaps in on its belly mm-hmm. it is able to in mid-mission if it detects that the battery is within a you know a low sort of parameter it, it knows how far away from home base it is and so it will go charge itself and then once it has sufficient charge it'll stand back up and then return right back to the tasks that it's doing Oh, cool! I, you know, it would be really cool because that 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 is that is amazing. But if it actually had like a little a mini pack, right, so that it could run back to the station, drop the big pack, lay down on a new pack, pick it up, right, yeah. and that way the time wouldn't be charge time. It would literally just swap be traffic time. to swap yeah, it out. Yeah, swap time. You know, I I yeah. gotta think that's possible or uh, something they're working on if it's not already a, a, a function because. To see, we had three batteries that we were swapping in and out every day, um, and we were running the spot demo in our sort of solution center, we called the Think Forum, but we were charging those overnight and then swapping them in and out so that it could, uh, amazing, you know, awestruck. Um, but it was cool. very easy to sort of slide it in, slide it out with nothing more than a handle in, in one hand. So really cool you, you, you know michael another way to think about that could be uh, a resupply version of a spot that came out with other batteries that could use its arm yeah it, to, it had like 10 yeah, of them on go, its back and it runs you know. and goes <laughs> kind, of, kind of like mid-air uh refueling of 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 a fighter yeah, jets, exactly right? you'd have like this this uber spot that had 20 different battery packs underneath its belly and the other ones would lay down and say scratch my belly and it would drop a battery on it <laughs> Maybe the bipedal robot, um, which could the, carry the batteries. The name's yeah. escaping me now, but you, you've seen those uh, videos. T two. Yep, yep. <laughs> and uh, maybe that guy could help with this, and then you have a whole like you know you're taking Spot out to walk and doing the business and getting him some. And then Arnold comes by and goes, "I've got batteries." Uh. <laughs> yeah, it is really amazing stuff, though, and and it it really to me is like just scratching the surface of what's possible. Just, it's interesting to see how they've made it a robot that is very much acts natural and acts like something that really is able to 
you're you, it's sort of i mean i don't think i mean creepy might be the right word for some folks that are startled by it and and definitely there's those sorts of reactions um, when people see this thing walking down the hall, it's it's actually bigger than you would think. It was bigger than than what I think you see on TV. Um, so the profile and and seeing it in person just is is kind of you know gets your gears turning. Very cool. So so you know I was reminded on the whole battery swap of cars, and we've seen some of that sort of thing in the past too. And videos about a car driving into a spot and then uh, not into a spot, but into a place where it can get its battery swapped out. So no robots were hurt in the making of that comment. Um, and we've got some car related stuff here going on too. First of which is a an article about how to get CarPlay into a Tesla. Um, now, for, for yes. the Tesla Rati among you, you probably know this pretty well already that uh, CarPlay from Apple does not operate on a Tesla. Uh, but there's news, there's hope for those of you who are Apple aficionados and Tesla drivers, and you can get your CarPlay onto a Tesla. And it's a pretty amazing story about how you do it because <laughs> you do it. Yeah, when when. When when I test drove a Tesla a couple of years back, you know, one of the things I was disappointed was you couldn't get CarPlay on it, and I want my next vehicle to have CarPlay. Um, and so uh, this is interesting. And and my question is, uh, given that Tesla does remote software updates to its stack on the vehicle, does it wipe it out every time, or is this persistent? Right? Can you get it CarPlay enabled and then have it persistent on the device? Um, but it would be it, this this looks really cool and it is very interesting to me. Although, or, or would you void your Michael, warranty, Michael? I will <laughs> tell you, I will reassure you, and I'll even extend a helping hand that with just a can-do attitude and a soldering iron, you can put Apple CarPlay <laughs> in even your 2005 <laughs> Honda Element, which I did a couple of. All right, all right. <laughs> There's a way. Well, this article is talking about how to do it, not not with a soldering iron, but leveraging the browser in the Tesla vehicle, installing Android onto that, and then using Android as your jump off point to get CarPlay on. So seems rather involved. Couple of levels of indirection. Seems rather involved. <laughs> and one might imagine that with all of those steps you're taking, any one little thing could go wrong. And Just don't hit the back button. <laughs> or. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh. I, I would say to probably think the soldering iron is probably going to be a better choice. Well, but but why would you need this? I mean, really, why would you need this uh, if if you weren't driving a Tesla? Like, could could you leverage this uh, on a BMW as any as an example? Yeah, well, I, I have CarPlay in in my 1999 BMW, and the way that works is I I take my phone and I put it in the and you slot, put it on a mount, you know, in next to me in the car, and I plug it into the radio, and then I have the audio directions of where I'm going tell me, okay, you need to turn left here. <laughs> so, hooray, problem solved. All I needed was a lightning cable. So that worked out pretty well for my 1999 BMW, but apparently some new BMWs don't even have the ability to get Android or CarPlay uh, right now, right out of the box, because this the hardware can do it, but the software is not there yet. So, you know, how's this for over-the-air updates? Uh, your hardware is ready, the software ain't, and don't worry, we'll get it to you soon. Which, which I really don't understand, because you know, quick glance at the article, they were they were kind of blaming the chip shortage 
To me, that's hardware. Yeah, exactly. This is a this, software it, issue. It, that is exactly <laughs> what I took away to Michael. It's like, okay, you can't blame the chips because if there were a chip problem, then you have to add a chip later. You wouldn't. Exactly, and you can't do that over not the air. easily. Not you, yet. You, it's hard to download <laughs> silicon, isn't it? Yep. Well, doesn't this well, just mean this? I guess it's just me. Yeah, yeah, but I, I find this kind of interesting too that the experiences that Tesla had helped pioneer is now becoming more and more well, I, I dare I say expected, right? You know, you don't need to take your car in; you just hook it up to the internet one way or another, and it will now update to the latest greatest stuff. And you know, and again, if for my 1999 BMW, um, I have a specialized flashed chip on that particular vehicle that has adjusted the timing of the air intake and the way that uh, the the car functions. And there's a warning label on there too, so that Michael, to your point, that a garage doesn't overwrite that by accident by saying oh you you have the wrong level of software i'll just flash it to the original right. stuff like no 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 no. yeah i changed the air input on my my car by going faster and rolling down the windows <laughs> <laughs> that was but speaking of the internet welcome andy <laughs> hello that was weird <laughs> i've uh, had some exciting uh, updates to my both of my Macs and different things have stopped working, and one of them was getting involved in the recording at the beginning. Well, you're here. You're here. But nobody you're knew. Here now. <laughs> yeah, then, well, we won't tell it to anyone. No one will. No one will know that. No, no, it's a secret. It's our little secret. <laughs> oh, thank goodness. <laughs> Um, well, well, now now that you're here, uh, w one of the next things that we had was uh, probably not so much a secret. Uh, Google has been showcasing a whole range of interesting and new things these days, and we've had plenty of conversations over the years, too, about use cases for augmented reality. This Cult of Mac article was intriguing on a, on a number of levels because it's not sort of the usual stuff we've been saying and thinking and doing. It is about doing closed captioning in real time by translating into text that you can now read as you are interacting with others. And I, I have to say, I, I didn't quite see this coming, but it, it's super easy to understand. And it's a great use case for uh, for you, allowing rapid, you, rapid translation that doesn't impact your ability to hear what's going on. You didn't see I it didn't coming? I didn't see it coming. Michael can get his um, Google Glass out again. This is really exciting. I'll, I'll, you want me to get, get it out? I'll get it now. No, 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 no don't get it um, Well, it's funny because it's on the cult of Mac, and of course now that AR glasses are one of the next rumored things that Apple's coming out. I think it's funny that Google came out with Glass what a decade ago, and uh, it's been that long. They're talking again about doing this, and and, and the Google Buds have been able to do this real-time translation, although I never got to try that for what three years since the bug yeah. came out so well and, and and you see it also in doesn't microsoft teams support this i mean the ability to take audio feed and turn it into transcribed text that's on all kinds of different services and the ability to take transcribed text and translate it into different languages you know that's something i remember playing with gosh back in 2007 uh right so uh, it's nice to see it into something that could be a, become a commercial product. 
I think that's the way to look at this. And by removing the cameras uh, from from these glasses, they, they make it much more a consumption device instead of a creepy device of somebody filming you while while you're just talking to them. So I think that's I think that's kind of cool. Well, we talked about this a few weeks ago as well in with Kevin Lewis having built that thing with using deep grams technology so that he could have a screen on his chest that basically translated or said transcribed what he was saying. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the technology here is not new. It's just nobody's put it into a format and a form factor that. Works. Yeah, and that's that's one of the cool innovations, right? Taking known technologies and innovating it into something that's a consumable product. That's what Apple does. Yes. Yes, which is why it's on Cultimac. Speaking of form <laughs> factors, though, I'm, I think I'm still holding out for the contact lens. There yes, a, there was a story I recall that was related to Google. Put things to detect your blood sugar. Wacky mm -hmm. feet. Michael's Which well, it will definitely uh, detect your blood pressure on some of our, our co hosts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll notice I have physical glasses and not contact lenses for a reason. Well, as everybody can see on this audio podcast, I think we yeah, all exactly. <laughs> so, so I, I had an, a further thought on this that struck me only now because I didn't see it coming, uh, and and that was when you're when you're watching a play or you're in a concert or you're in an environment, um, the level for this sort of translation now to be really really good and useful. Uh, imagine you're at the Met. And you're at the opera, and they're singing in, in Italian. Not only can you now get the, the the what is being sung, you could see it in the language, right? You might switch languages. So if you don't speak Italian, you can now see what it's uh, what the the singer is actually saying. And because of augmented reality, you could do some really interesting things too. Like say, you could notice which singer is singing, and you can superimpose it over you that could have singer. Them highlight on stage. Right, they, they they would have like a little glow on them. You, on you could do that. It's a little, yeah, it's a little like the hockey puck, you know. So it's like, oh, the hockey puck's yeah. glowing, yeah. so you can actually find it on the ice as you're watching it. But there, there's some neat things you could but, do. But I do like the idea of putting into super titles, yeah. right? Because right now a lot of operas will do super mm -hmm. titles uh, above the stage proscenium, uh, so that you can understand what's being sung, uh, and they'll sometimes they'll do it in the native language of the opera versus. Sometimes they'll do it in the language of the listener, yep. right? Uh, but being able to choose dynamically would be really, really cool idea. And, and we like were that. we were at the Deepak, which is a, a local venue here in Durham, North Carolina, just last week. And I can't now remember the name of the app, but there is an app that, that you can download to your iPhone, which will hear and listen to what is being sung and give you basically subtitles so that you can hear it and understand it. So if it's being sung very, very quickly, a la a Hamilton kind of experience, you can actually capture the words and kind of know where you are and they I, sync it I, I think, to the play. I think that app's called Shazam. No, no, no it's not. It's not. It's, <laughs> it's, it's something different. Um, but but I could see where the lyrics, you know, elements of those things could happen, you know, and be positive, uh, productive there too. Okay, so um, so go. interesting notions there. Uh, l let's flip over to um, another robot that 
captured the yes. attention here just a smidge. And this is, um, we, we pick up these things from time to time, right? Robots that mimic nature. Uh, this one kind of caught our eye because it is a robot that can hover. They say it's fly and fly slash hover for a long time that was inspired by maple seeds. So those are like those little helicopter thingies that come down from the trees yeah. and get the seeds to the ground. And it's um, it, it looks and it's shaped a little bit like two of those joined together with little uh, propellers on the sides to kind of keep it up in the air. And I thought this was super clever. I... I, lo- I love the name of it. It's called Clips. It's related to its cl- cousin, Clippy. Uh, <laughs> to kind of tie it back to last week's show. <laughs> now, this is, this is, this is interesting. Um, and I've always been fascinated by those little leaves, right? The, the, the seed pods and, and the way they flow. So uh, very, very cool. And, and just from the video, it's just amazing how it how it actually hovers itself. So it's like those little propellers are just getting enough lift there, so it's not going to drop all the way down. Yeah, just just enough lift to offset gravity of the weight of the device. Right. So very cool. Well, it's speaking of, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, we just finished watching a um, special on PBS about butterflies and various scientists doing research around there's certain butterflies that have completely transparent wings mm. uh, and that actually impacts uh, their ability to fly but they use that because th- they use heat because they're cold-blooded butterflies are cold-blooded Right, and they need heat to get the energy in order to fly. So if they have transparent wings, they don't get enough heat. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. Um, but they actually do the way they're structured. Uh, if I remember that one correctly, it actually uses uh, a certain aspect of the shape of the transparency to focus light onto their body. Oh, so it's kind of like a prism. So they give them the energy, yeah. which they're using the same technology of those transparent wings to improve the efficacy of solar panels. Ooh. So they're looking at the molecular structure of those wing patterns uh, as one of the things they talk about. Very, very cool. Kind of like the magnifying glass being used to power the butterfly as opposed to do awful things. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, I thought and, one, and, of the, one of the most interesting things here, too, is with, the, with going back to the drone for a moment, is that it... It, uh, there are laws, and, and rightly so, safety and regulation around where, where can drones fly and introduces the notion that you know, not only is it balanced, but the power consumption and the weight enable it to go places. That I wonder if there's a, you know, one, one of the interesting things is in science fiction, right? You take a little small thing like an ant and you blow it up 10 100 times its size and they would in science fiction movies make them behave the same way right so you get these giant killer ants right uh but when you think about this drone right uh one of the reasons why it can do what it does is size and weight and if you scaled it up what is the atmospheric pressure necessary to keep it floating in the same manner Mm. right i mean does it have to be on venus Right, and the super thick, dense, thick, dense atmosphere there, in order to behave the same way. 
and maybe there's a size limitation that they're really going to be limited to you know like two inch square you know two or three inch long uh, drones and that's it sure now if the drones were modeled after paralesa nepalica a butterfly yes. found in Nepal. It lives and flies at an altitude of nearly 15,000 feet. Very thin atmosphere. Did you also know that painted lady butterflies are known to fly as far as 4,000 miles between North Africa and Iceland? I did not know that specific That's type why, of butterfly. That's why you but the monarchs fly about 1,500 miles between uh, Mexico and Canada. 2,700 uh, has been the first okay. uh, uh, documented flight by a migrating monarch butterfly <laughs> from, uh, from Canada to Mexico. Well, that was your butterfly lessons for today. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. A- Andy, I had no idea this was an a, a, a area of great interest for you. This is really cool. Sure. So is Google. <laughs> oh yeah, there might be that as well. Um, so I've got a little uh, text just coming down my glasses. Yeah, it's like <laughs> fun, fun facts about butterflies. Dynamic. So, well, well speaking, yeah, of fun. and and harkening back to an earlier episode. So, um, you know, with with our title, games at work. So there, there's a game. I I have to admit freely, I have not played Elden Ring. Uh, but there is a set of capabilities within Elden Ring where uh, the gameplay is you are um, going to invade somebody else's space. You have combat, and if you're the winner, you win some stuff. And if you're the loser, you don't. The other person does, right? So in this kind of a construct, um, there is a mechanism where you can invite people to do PvP, player versus player. And if they can't find you and attack you, they are grow disappointed and they leave, which means you win. So they're intrepid people who have done this kind of farming. And they're like, yeah, that's great. Love it. And this article is about one guy who got really ticked off because that's what they were doing, right? So they were unattainable. You could not go and attack them. You could not do the PvP stuff. So he came up with a mechanism to say, fine, I'll go and invade your space and I'll hang out here long enough and I'll just spend hours there and cause you to give up and lose on your side, which will mean I win. So, so the secret is they're, they're playing this game that's supposed to be fun and the whole purpose is to make it as boring as possible that you go somewhere you really don't want to be. You just hang out and do absolutely nothing for hours on end. This, they, you, this game is at work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love it. Uh, has, has anyone played Elden Ring here? No, no, <laughs> I haven't. But I, I, I feel like I'm obligated to. It's all over the place. Yeah, everybody talks about it. So, so the, uh, have have a look at this article. It's it's pretty funny about the technique that this particular person uses, and and, and I love the subtitle. Spite and patience are a powerful combination. Uh, true words were never Again. spoken, were they? <laughs> No, not at all. <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> also, just AFK farming the AFK. <laughs> uh, it's, it's fun just to see the way the guy is talking about it as well. He's like, I live in this bush now. That's what I do. <laughs> I like it here. There are rocks and leaves and sometimes a bug flies by. Could could be perhaps be one of those butterflies hermit. that you mentioned, Annie. I, I have no idea about the, the fauna of uh, Elden Ring. but I mean, well, I have some... 
idea about the fauna of Elden Ring because it refers here to Torrent the Horse Goat that the <laughs> player uses to get to different places. So, yeah. <sighs> that, oh, you just got to love it. Well, well just, just in, in, in case uh, you do have a subscription to Apple, uh, what is it, Arcade, uh, you could download uh, the Goat Simulator Plus today. Oh, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> um, I, I, was, I was holding myself back. <laughs> I played Goat Simulator quite a lot on the Xbox. I haven't um, done it on the. Well, uh, there was there was another link uh, that uh, was plopped our way this week of Ploppy, the trackball open source project. Andy, you you had seen this it's, one. It's Ploopy. Ploopy. Ploop. Ploop. Well, I like Ploppy better, but Ploopy I guess works too. <laughs> <laughs> tomato, it's like tomato. A, it's like a triangular shaped trackball, so it's it's, a, it's actually a beautiful design. I think. I mean, I don't know how practical it is. I assume that it's been ergonomically tested. And one of the interesting things about it is that it's used not using drivers. Essentially, it's using QMK, which is an open source firmware you can get for different um, uh, circuit boards and other things. So it's used a lot in um, keyboards. And you can use it to reprogram the keyboards and add different layers of keys. But yeah, it's a lot of open source software and hardware that's been uh, built into this. It's um, it's very exciting. I've been building miniature track uh, miniature keypads. I haven't done anything with something as advanced as a trackball or or mouse yet. It's it's interesting. I'd seen an article earlier this week that I just threw in the show notes uh, from uh, Microsoft doing a accessibility toolkit for building your own mouse uh to to address various and different accessibility needs for for yes, for a mouse mm-hmm. so uh what, what it, it once upon a time and i don't remember how long and i have to find a picture of it because i'm sure i won't describe it well there was a logitech um trackpad not, not trackpad, sorry, a trackball that you manipulated with your thumb. You kind of cl- clicked it yeah. onto the edge of your laptop, and then you could move oh. it around with your thumb and click it with your finger. You remember that? And and I had one of yep. those uh, on my Zenith Supersport. Hmm. Uh, so that tells you how long ago. I think that was a 286 or a 386 laptop. Yeah. Um, and uh, you were not allowed to use it on a plane. Uh, because at the time they were worried about the radio signals coming off of the device. <laughs> yeah, something like that. I liked that one. That was so, quite good. Uh, but but you know, I, I've now learned a lot about QMK, Andy, from some of my builds too. And I have to say that um, it's super frustrating. Like, oh my goodness, you know, the user ex- uh, experience about leveraging this is uh, leaves a lot to be desired, and and the documentation as well. It's like. I, you know, come on, help, help somebody out, right? <laughs> Give me a little bit and I can get all the way. But what we have is like nowhere near where it needs to be. Yeah, I agree. It took me quite a while to figure out that just that little three um, keypad that you and I have both got from the Stack Overflow, the key. But um, one thing that I've also got is an Adafruit macro pad, which is used, which uses CircuitPython to reprogram it. And they've got some really good documentation for that because learning to code. Um, but, but one thing I was going to say on the input side is I've got a Steam Deck now. Uh, right. Yes, yes I saw. Yay! 
spent some time installing all the things and it in principle it's an amazing device i mean i the the hardware is very nice it's very solid it's it's very well built it's beautiful the software experience is quite irritating um if you're just living in the steam ecosystem you're fine if you want to go beyond it um there's obviously a desktop mode it's linux um, you can plug in usb keyboard and mouse um, but if you're not going to do that, you are limited to the controls on the device, which it's got a touch screen, but then it doesn't have a keyboard. You can invoke an on-screen keyboard by holding a combination of buttons. Um, and then you can use the touch screen to use the keyboard. But the other thing you can do is use, it's got two thumb trackpads you can use as pointers on either side of the keyboard. It's really odd, but it actually is more reliable than the on-screen keyboard. So there's some, yeah, it's been it's been interesting. You mean if you'd use the device for what it wasn't meant to do, uh, it's a little no, bit I'm annoying. Using it, well, I'm using it to install additional games that can show up in the game front end. So, uh, and, I, and I got it partly because of the fact that it is extensible, and people have built hacks on top of the the game UI already, game mode UI, which um, are quite nice to let you get into the advanced settings some more. I've got a vacation, so this is a good chance to mention on the show that I'll be away for in the next few weeks. Um, so I'll give it a proper drive whilst traveling. Cool. And we will and miss we'll, you. we'll see your updates from the road, uh, of course, on your, your favorite social media environment. Potentially. What, you mean Mastodon? Yes. <laughs> I was about to say, uh, the Mastodon server that we're setting up. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm active at Andy Piper at Mastodon.social, if anybody fancies following me over there. There we go. Uh, so I, I'm looking so at getting, I, one, getting a, uh, a Mastodon account set up for the show as well. Oh, probably on a different side. Excellent. So I think we're just about out of time. We are, but we've got two more things to, to hit here. So, Ryan, one of the things I think this came from you was uh, an NFT prediction from 1994. Is that right? Can you set this up? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think... Uh, Many shows have the kids in the hall, the comedy sketch show uh, from way back in the night. Uh, it was a Canadian comedy sketch Canadian, show, if I yeah, remember right. correctly. Um, they they had a nice sketch about uh, discussing ownership rights of none other than underwear, whatever you want to. Call And how that, yeah, eerily debates today on Twitter. (laughs) Very cool. Can't wait to watch it. it. Yep. Augmented underwear. We're just waiting for that one now. Um, I don't business. Was that the the foundation of the underwear gnomes too? Could be profit, (laughs) baby profit. You got it. Um, I, I, think I neglected adding this to, to the area here uh, on my playlist, but um, we had a Lego thing to talk about, too, didn't we? We, we had two Lego ah, things. I thought there was yeah. more. Uh, I, I believe there was one uh, that listener um, uh, Alexis uh, posted to us, which was a... Oh, God, what's the name of the, the, the historical site? Petra. See that? The Treasury. Yes. Uh, and uh, a, a model for that uh, that they're trying to get funded, which I thought was just awesome looking. That was really, really excellent. Yeah, it's in Jordan, south of Jordan. Yeah, 
Uh, and then the second one, uh, Ryan, I think this was from you, which is the Optimus Prime. Oh, yeah. So apparently, they both of these, I think, are what they call the Lego idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Optimus Prime, uh, Gen Gen One. So it looks cool cartoon version of the truck. You know, not the Michael Bay version that you know, I don't understand how that does anything or transforms. But this one, it looks photorealistic almost to the cartoon that we, I think many of us. Make. And uh, the good news is not only does it look good, but apparently it will. It's- wow. It's crazy. I think somebody tweeted that they've clearly got their eyes on kids of the 80s right now in terms of like revenue sources because they're building a lot of these bigger ideas sets squarely aimed at you and I. Um, yeah, it, it looks really, really good. I haven't read yet in enough detail about how many custom parts they've added or, you know. Yeah, it looks like a lot. And... <laughs> well, or a know. few. It looks like there's it's doing a lot of um, studs not on top build to pr- produce a very sort of smooth line on the front ends of the cab and so on but I don't know what they might because I can see the front windows of the cab are just two of the upright um, window pieces yeah. so that's a genius I think probably the head has got to be a, the, the, well the chest is the front of the cab yeah yeah no but I'm thinking the head um, piece itself is a custom piece mm-hmm. but I think yeah. the, the fists exist from some of the, the bionicles that they've had in their bio- well, yeah, from then onwards, yeah. basically. So I, yeah, I but there was interested in that aspect of it. There was a video circulating ago about a you know a transforming Optimus Prime that scale robot, but this is this is interesting. I want to know how many times we're going to be rebuilding this. When it falls apart partially through. <laughs> I guess that's part of the fun. You get It needs a sound chip so that when you do transform it, it makes the sound when you transform. That would be my suggestion. Um all right, so <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I'm still checking on a daily basis for the DeLorean to come back and be available for sale because it says it's temporarily uh unavailable because um everyone grabbed it when it first came out. But I want a DeLorean. Um, all right. So l- 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 wrapping up for today is something that looks super deluxe cool. And it is Flipper. No, it's not the dolphin, although there is a dolphin in it. Um, it is Flipper Zero. And I can't remember who in the pre-show said that they, they no, Andy, you said you have it on order. And Ryan, you said you know somebody who's got one, right? Yeah, well, I don't know the person, but there was someone in the Kubernetes community that was showing off that they had received it a, a week ago on Twitter. And that's actually how I started. So so this is a little bit like... Check my backlog on Kickstarter right now and see when mine is due to shit. This is like, um, like uh, was it Waz that had the clicker, you know, to go and change TV channels and bars and stuff like that? But, the, you know... Yeah, I think so. Th- this is like, okay, so you can do RFID checks. You can read credit cards from an NFC perspective. You can identify Bluetooth. I mean, there are apps on your phone you can get that'll interrogate Bluetooth and see what's going on around you. But boy, this this looks just like all kinds of fun. Oh yeah, I, I mean it's it will do a lot, and it 
it looks like it was uh it says it's inspired by a ponagachi project um i built a i built a ponagachi um and uh, they're quite fun as well but it done uh, the i assume the same will be the case with the flipper the battery is kind of poor but i mean the ponagachi can do some stuff it's based on it was original one was based on the pi zero and you can run it on the pi zero two now but um yeah it's it's basically cracking wi-fi network um details via a uh, neural network but um yeah i don't know what I've been oh, I just I, I just love that it has all of the, all of the things that help you do this thing. <laughs> Critical. <laughs> yeah, because you don't want to throw it at your TV when you're playing Wii Sports now, do do you? Oh, I just imagine. <laughs> love it. Oh yeah. All right. Well, I, I think that gets us to time here today, gentlemen. This has uh, been a fun, fun, fun episode. Uh, uh, we've already heard Michael. I think where you can find us on Mastodon, or soon to find us on Mastodon. Where else can people find us? Uh, I would go to our website, at, and it has links to all our locations uh, and the way that you can get our podcast uh, to be in your favorite podcatcher on all the different uh, podcatchers. Awesome. awesome. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us this week. It's always a pleasure to have you on board and uh, thank you for these really cool spot links and, and more. This great conversation. Thank you. Good to be here. Happy to see you. Absolutely. Excellent. All right. Well, with that, folks, uh, join us again in a week's thereabouts time for another edition of gamesatwork.biz coming to a podcatcher near you. See everybody. See ya. Bye. You've been listening to GamesAtWork.biz, the podcast about gaming technology and play. We are part of the Blueberry Podcasting Network and would like to thank the band Random Encounters for their song, Big Blue. You can follow us on Twitter at GamesAtWork underscore biz or at our website at GamesAtWork.biz. GamesAtWork.biz.